You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. Morning, Forefront. Happy New Year to each and every one of you. Let's get started. I have so much good stuff to talk about, so let's talk about it. And I want you to start by saying this with me. Are you ready? Here we go. Same is safe, and different is dangerous. One more time. Same is safe, different is dangerous. Now, here's the thing. I don't know if y'all believe that fully. I get it. I mean, like by virtue of us being at forefront, and we kind of embrace the different, right? So, so that might not be exactly for us, but for humanity, this is very, very true. Same is safe and different is dangerous. I think the thing we are afraid of most in America, or in humanity for that matter, are new experiences. I really believe that. Now, I think part of that is biological, okay? Part of that's tribal. You know, as we were coming up, we we created marks to differentiate ourselves from others, right? And so if you were wearing a certain type of feather, a certain type of paint, a certain crest, a certain uniform, you were safe. If you were wearing the other paint, the other feather, the other crest, the other uniform, you were dangerous, right? So same is safe and dangerous is different or different is dangerous. Now, what we do is we take that and we apply it to different parts of our lives. So high school is the easiest way to apply this, right? Uh, we wanted desperately to be uh, in a place where, where we felt safe. And so we, we found other people just like us. And even those of us who were considered quote unquote outcasts, my guess is that the large majority of us who are considered outcasts um, probably were outcasts with a few other people. Right? And so even though we were all wearing black and maybe wearing eyeliner and doing some different things, we had other friends that we were doing that with. So we were different to others, but we were safe, right? Because same is safe and different is dangerous, right? That's the way that we have played this out in a humanity. We don't like the new experiences. And new experiences, that difference, um, that factors into not only high school, it factors into, oh, I don't know, power structures, right? Let's talk about power structures. And so in the simplest forms, I remember saying to my parents growing up, hey, why do we always go to the vacation to vacation in the same spot? Why can't we go to vacation, say, somewhere else, like maybe Mexico or, you know, I don't know, Europe? And didn't matter that we didn't have money to do that. The, the thing that my parents always said was, hey, well, if we do that, then we're over-reliant on others to help us get to different places, to help us figure out the language, and we don't necessarily want to be in that position. That feels uncomfortable. And really, when I think about it now, not just my parents, but so many of us, we don't want to be in a position where we lose our power, right? The power to master another language, the power to, to have influence in a culture or an ethnicity or in a setting. We don't want to lose that. And so we say, hey, if I'm going to lose it, I don't want to experience it. And that's true in politics, too. I think one of the most important and powerful reads of the past five years was Ta-Nehisi Coates in The Atlantic, where he basically said this, and I'm absolutely paraphrasing, so, uh, you know, just, just so you know. He basically said, you know, hey, Americans were so upset over the experience of a black man in power that they elected the most inept and untoward white man just to prove 
that the experience of having a white man in power was the only experience that mattered. You see, having a black man in power, that was different and that was dangerous. And so what happened is that upset the balance of power in America. It was a new experience that made Americans feel far too uncomfortable. And so what happens is, is we go back to the same. And not only do we go back to the same, we go back to the most inept, ridiculous same, just to prove that we can hold on to power. Now before, before we start patting ourselves on the back because we're progressive or liberal or whatever, let me just say the fact that as progressives or liberals, especially those of us in power, we do the same thing. And so while we might be able to, to change policy, like healthcare for everyone, or the legalization of marijuana, which would commute thousands upon thousands of ridiculous possession sentences, we don't do it. Why don't we do it? We don't do it because it would put us out of power. It would bring people up into equity it would actually bring people up into a position where they might actually succeed and the truth is even us progressive quote-unquote liberal folks we don't like that either because say it with me same as safe and different is dangerous and now i've said this a thousand times maybe a thousand and one times and i'm going to say it again the truth of the matter is this power play this idea of staying safe and being the same it plays out in our christianity and so I'm going to say this, and this is very important. We would much rather fear God than we would love God. We much would rather fear God than we would love God. Why? Because if we fear God, we don't have to go down the road of dangerous and different experiences. If we fear God, what we do is we continue to do the same safe things we've always done. I'm going to continue to exclude this group of people. I'm going to continue to worship and sing this way. I need my church open because this is the only way that church absolutely works because the new experiences, the different experiences, those are dangerous. And if I start to include people who aren't supposed to be included, and if I start to say that church can be anywhere, or if I start to, to worship differently or pray differently or whatever, then I'm in danger uh, of maybe losing my power not only in this life, but I'm in danger of losing the promise of power in heaven in the next life. And so for me, it's way easier to fear God and to fear the loss of my heavenly power than it is to actually love God. Because to love God, to love God is actually to jump in to new experiences. To love God is to actually be empathetic. And what do I mean by empathetic? It means that I, we, we say to, to the other, to the person that's with us, to our sibling, we say, hey, while your experience might not be my experience, I nevertheless believe you and I work on your behalf to make sure that our experiences are equitable, to make sure that we have the same opportunity of outcome, right? That is what we do. And I think when we love God, that's what God is calling us to do. So where does all this come from? Where does my whole idea of new experiences actually maybe what God wants? And maybe the idea of same is safe and different is dangerous isn't at all what brings the kingdom of God? Well, we're in our last week of our Make a Joyful Noise series. We started the series off, we said, hey, we want to tell you about Forefront's vision, mission, and values. And so we've done that so far. We told you about our vision to be a just and generous expression of Jesus Christ. We've told you about our mission. Our mission is, is how we live out our vision, right? And our mission is to usher in the next 500 years of Christianity. 
And then how do we do that? What do we embody to do that? Well, we embody our values. One of our values is uncommon kinship. Another value is worship reimagined. If you want to go back and listen to those messages, you can absolutely do that. And I want to talk about our last value today. The last value I want to talk about today is radical equity. Now, you might be sitting there, you might be going, Jonathan, why are you even talking about this last value? We've just gone on this large vacation. Even you, Forefront, you took a vacation. We didn't have worship last week. Shouldn't we be starting a new series or something? And yeah, maybe we should. But I'm so excited about this value that I wanted to make it the thing that kicks off our new year. So I want you to listen, I want you to pay attention, and I hope by the end we can embody the value of radical equity. What does that mean? Well, we wrote it down. This is what we talk about when we talk about radical equity. We say, we aspire to change the world first by changing people's lives. For starters, anyone can preach, lead, and get married regardless of your gender identity or sexual orientation. But more than that, we believe in more than equal opportunity, but equity of outcome. We preach that Jesus didn't treat people equally, but he treated people equitably, with a clear preference for the marginalized. We understand the gospel to be political and not partisan, and we actively encourage our congregation to bring about justice in their lives, relationships, and societal systems. We are working to increase diversity across all levels of leadership and community groups as part of our commitment to anti-racism. Wow, that's a lot there, right? And it goes back to what I said earlier. It goes back to the idea that if we are going to usher in the kingdom of heaven, if we're going to usher in the next 500 years, then the idea of staying safe and staying the same, that's not going to work for us. We're going to have to usher in new experiences. And the beauty of the new experience, the beauty of doing things new, the, doing, the beauty of, uh, of challenging the norms is that people will often say, you're untethered, you've lost your way. What makes you think you can just challenge the norms, especially when it comes to Christianity? And my answer is always the same, and it should be the same for you, right? It's Jesus. There's a, the a robust theology around challenging norms, around creating new differences, and about not fearing God, but loving God. And so let's jump into one of my favorite stories. I know I say this every week, like, but scripture is amazing. Yeah, so, so definitely one of my favorite stories, another one of my favorite stories that I'm going to read for you right here. And it goes like this. So from there, Jesus went to the regions of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from those territories came and shouted, Show mercy on me, son of David. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. But he didn't respond to her at all. His disciples came and urged him, Send her away. She keeps shouting after us. And Jesus replied, I've been sent only to the lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. And he replied, It is not good to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, but even dogs eat crumbs that fall off their master's table. And Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. It will be just as you wish. And right then, her daughter was healed. Wow. Okay. This is a really, really packed passage. We have Jesus calling another woman a dog. Oh my gosh. What is happening here? theological implications. I actually want to start with something that I think is, is probably the second most important part of this passage besides the actual healing. Okay? You want to know what that is? It's the first part. The part that says, Jesus went into Tyre and Sidon and a Canaanite woman. Why is that part so important? Well, in our scriptures, whenever you see somebody being from a place, take that as a really important clue. That's going to tell us something. So let's talk about what this tells us. What does it tell us that Jesus went into Tyre and Sidon and saw a Canaanite woman? Well, let's go all the way back 
in Israel's history. Let's go back all the way to Noah. Y'all remember Noah? Okay, one time Noah got really drunk and really naked. He was one of those people, right? Really drunk, really naked. His son Ham comes along and sees him drunk and naked. And Noah finds out about this. And so Noah says, Ham, you are to be cursed forever and ever. Now, to be cursed means that you are going to be kicked out of the family. You have no inheritance. You have no rights to the land. And for all intents and purposes, we hope you die. Right? Like, that's what it means. But Ham doesn't die. In fact, Ham goes to another area, another land, and he has a child. Now, what's this child's name? This child's name is Canaan. All right? We're getting somewhere with this, right? Canaan has two kids. Can you guess what Ham's sons, Canaan's two kids' names were? You like that, right? Their names were Tyre and Sidon. So what ends up happening is out of this curse, you have this new nation, Tyre and Sidon. That's what happens out of the curse of Ham. And out of the curse of Ham, Israel says, well, that's a cursed nation. In fact, it's such a, such a cursed nation that the, the prophets of Israel, Ezekiel especially, speaks to Tyre and Sidon, and this is what Ezekiel says. He says, I'm against you, Sidon, and among you I will display my glory. You will know that I am the Lord when I inflict my punishment on you, and within you I am proved to be holy. I will send a plague upon you and make blood flow in your streets. The slain will fall within you with the sword against you on every side, and then you will know that I am the Lord. And that's some Pulp Fiction stuff right there. Am I right? Truly, right? This is some wrath. And it goes against Tyre and Sidon. So now, let's go to the time of Jesus. Let's talk about how you might feel if you are walking down the street and a woman from Tyre and Sidon comes up to you, a Canaanite woman. Automatically, what are you thinking? You're like, well, this is a cursed woman, right? That's who she is. Not only is she cursed, but God has no use for this woman either, right? This woman uh, is, is one of the people who the plague has come upon. Blood is in the streets. The glory of God is shown by the beatdown of this woman. That's basically what's going on. And so if you truly fear the Lord, then you are going to make sure that you exclude the people of Tyre and Sidon. You're going to make sure you exclude the Canaanites. Now, why are you going to do that? You're going to do that because you know God doesn't like them either. And if God doesn't like them either, then you don't want to put yourself in jeopardy of actually opening any good news up to them. Why would you open good news up to them? You saw what Ezekiel said. And so you stay away from them. And your mom tells you, don't play with the kids from Tyre and Sidon. And if you see the people from Tyre and Sidon on the street, you, 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 you create a wide berth around them, right? Like, like COVID times. Um, if you see people from Tyre and Sidon, you might even make fun of them because they're not worthy. And to invite them in to any kind of community or to invite them into any kind of love, well, that's dangerous. That's real dangerous. And now you are at the mercy of God, right? Who in scripture has already said he doesn't like, and notice I say he, he doesn't like the people from Tyre and Sidon, right? Do we see this? So to stay safe, we stay the same. And same means that we call them dogs. So Jesus is basically being a bit rhetorical here. Hey, we don't feed dogs, right? Do we? And you can see everybody he's with, all these Israelites. Like, no, we don't. No, we don't. We stay away from them. And that's what happens. And then Jesus changes. Then Jesus changes it all. Actually, this woman changes it all. What does the woman do? She says, no, listen, even dogs get to eat. Bring me into your place of chosenness. 
Bring me into your place of equity. Now, in today's times, how many people might we say that about in American culture? Can you see the marginalized, the people who maybe are too old, right? Bring me into a place of, of, of favor. Bring me into a place of equity. And we sit there and we go, well, you can come so far, but not too far. LGBTQIA community. Hey, bring me into a place of favor and equity. Well, you're welcomed here, but mm, that's about it. You're just welcomed. What about, what about people of color, especially people of African descent? Uh, we have gifts and we, we have things we're able to bring to this community. Well, that's great, but, but your gifts might actually get in the way of the mainstream and then we lose our power. Do you see how we still treat people today in the same way that the Canaanite woman was treated? And when I say we, I'm talking about people like myself with privilege and power. Do we see that? This is what we do, right? And so when Jesus hears this woman respond, she says, no, no. You know, to stay safe here, that's the dangerous part. It's a new experience of accepting me that's going to change people's lives. Jesus sees it, and she is changed. Not only is she changed, her daughter is changed. Her daughter is healed. And notice she's healed, not with condition. Like, oh, you're more than welcome, man, and you're more than welcome to be a part of this so long as you. And notice she's not healed uh, so long as there's a code switch. Uh, once you accept our culture and once you accept our way of doing things, no, none of that happens. She's ultimately healed and she's brought into community as being favored. And Jesus does it in the face of Jesus' people. He does it in the face of his scriptures, which tell him not to do it. And he does it in the face of an entire church that says, well, this is the way that we've always done it. Why would you invite her in? And it literally changes history. Because now thousands, if not millions of quote-unquote Gentiles are brought in this. This is the good news of the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is showing us. Jesus is showing us that this is radical equity. This is what Jesus is showing us. Jesus is showing us. Jesus is showing us that when God gets what God wants, exclusion no longer exists. And it's equity of outcome for everyone that brings about the kingdom of heaven. Ooh, that, that, my friends, is why I love this passage so much. Now, there's a thing for this, right? There's a word for this. I'm going to tell you the word. It's a Hebrew word, and the Hebrew word is kavad. Now, what is kavad? Well, kavad used to be a unit of measurement. It used to be a unit of measurement. Uh, when something was really heavy, it was kavad. And then it sort of changed from a unit of measurement to kind of that... um. You know that life-changing feeling that we can't, we can't quite put a finger on it, but it's there and we feel it. Sometimes we call it the Holy Spirit, right? Like you're watching a really good movie and it's not a movie that you're like, oh, that was awesome, but a movie where you're like, oh my gosh, my life has changed after seeing that movie. That changed me. Like that's Kavad. Or what about like a song or a book that does the same? That's Kavad. Or what about when you meet someone for the first time and you're talking to them and all of a sudden there's this connection and you're like, oh my gosh, this is ridiculous, this connection. And from that point forward, whether you continue to be friends with them or not, you always have like this like inner thing that's there between the two of you. That, that is kavad, right? And so this, this, this heavy, beautiful kind of, kind of change, kind of repentance, right? This change of mind, that is kavad. Jesus and the Israelites are experiencing kavad. We... We, if we're going to usher in the next 500 years, if we're going to be a just and generous expression of Jesus Christ, we must recognize the times where we experience that same weight, that same heaviness, that same 
feeling, that push, that pull, the thing that asks us to, to venture out into what used to be called dangerous and is now called life-giving. That is kavad. And so I think about our church. Back in 2012, I said, hey, you know what? I want our church to be diverse. That's what I said. And uh, in fact, we, we wrote a grant to try to get $40,000 as a diverse church. And the, the person, the arbiter of the grant came in and, and, and he said, he came to our church and, and checked out our website and sat down with me and he said, hey, there's no way I'm giving you this grant. He's like, you have, yeah, you have what, a few people of color, some different ethnicities, what are you doing? That's any different, that brings about any kind of diversity. You're not getting this money. And I was floored, but it was kind of a kavod moment. Like, whoa, I need to go beyond myself. I need to think bigger. And so not only did we start to think bigger, but we started to collaborate. We, we said, hey, we need to be an anti-racist church. We made it a value knowing that it was going to be an aspirational value. And we said, okay, so now we're going to find mentors who can help us know what it means to be anti-racist. And we're going to make sure that we have trainings and make sure that we talk about it at our church and make sure that we have series on it. So we did. And every time we did a series, something big on anti-racism, people would walk out the door. Just walk out the door. And here's the thing, like we were a smaller church back then, maybe just a couple hundred people. So to watch someone walk out the door, that was scary. Like, are we gonna lose our livelihood? But it was this kavod moment, like no, but this is important and it's dangerous and it's different. It's a new experience for the American Evangelical Church and we need to keep going. So we continue to do this. We continue to move. We continue to listen to, to, that, to that heavy feeling, the voice of the Spirit, Kavad, telling us to be more intentional, to be more inclusive. So we did with the LGBTQIA community. And in doing that, it was a bit painful. But it was this moment where we heard God saying to us, move forward. Move the same way that Jesus moves forward with this woman from Tyre and Sidon. You do the same. It was a Kavad experience. And it got us to where we are today. And so where are we today? Well, this is what we believe, and I want to read it for you. We believe that being the same, being the same evangelical church is dangerous. We believe that new experiences are kavod, and they're life-giving, and they bring the kingdom of heaven. We believe that, that, that the kavod experience, those new experiences, are the things that create radical equity. That's what they are. And in the past 15 months, I think our church has experienced this more than ever. Our community is led better than ever and more than ever. And we've grown more than ever. We've leaned in to, to the challenges. We've leaned into those Kavad feelings and said, we don't know where they're going to take us, but we're going to follow them. And then we get beautiful stories like Zach and Kelly and Denya talking to us about why Christianity and, and politics are so intertwined and have to be intertwined. And we get stories of justice and why justice matters from, from Kelly and, and Jen and Carissa and Adele. Like we get those stories as well. We find out that prayer and protest go hand in hand. You know, that's what Megan Perez shows us. We get stories from, from Kyle and, and, and the entire uh, anti-racist small group. And that includes Jordan as well and Jen Loving as well and some incredible people in that group who, who show us that what it means to be allies and accomplices for others. We get this beautiful decolonization group led by uh, you know, Juan and Ali and Mackenzie who hold Forefront accountable to continuing to be radical in our equity. 
And we get multitudes, so many of you who have given me Kavod experiences by holding me accountable to microaggressions, by, by, by challenging me when I'm not getting it right, by saying, Jonathan, you need to take a step back and listen instead of stepping up and maybe speaking in a place where you shouldn't be speaking. Like I listen to those moments, they're Kavod moments, they grow us and they grow our church. And recently we've had another Kavod moment. It's a moment when we all went away on our retreat and as we all went away, we said, hey, if we're going to be a church that, that believes in radical equity, then it's got to start at the top. It has to start at the top. You see, in 2012, I was hired to plant this church, and it was normal. It was safe. It's what you did. You hired a leader, and that leader just hired a few people underneath them, and, and that leader was hired with a few people underneath, and you had the, the, the recommendation of a leadership team, but ultimately, it was this leader that took the church wherever they were going to go. And I've held that role for quite a long time. I have. And yeah, I'm a better collaborator. And so I enjoy listening to the ideas of others. I enjoy working with others. But at the end of the day, I've always been the one that makes the final decision. I'm the one that decides on the final product. I'm the one that decides on the final challenge. I'm the one that decides on the, on the place we go next. I'm the one that, that does all that. And, and on this retreat, in this Kavad moment, we said radical equity maybe means taking a step out where it feels a little dangerous again. And maybe that means not just hearing from one final voice. And it was a huge moment because it was a moment where we realized that if Forefront is going to flourish and usher in the next 500 years and be a just and generous expression of Jesus Christ, then we needed to listen to the heaviness, the kabad, the Holy Spirit. And we needed to be not just one voice, but a multitude of voices. And so starting today, my title changes. What's my title? I'm no longer the lead pastor. Today, I am your teaching pastor. And today, I'm no longer the last person that makes a decision. I'm one of many voices that make a decision. You see, Mackenzie Gomez is also going to be brought up into a full-time role. And she'll be Forefront's producer, which means she's doing an incredible incredible amount of work and she'll be doing an incredible job as well but Mackenzie will have equal say in vision and in decision making and in, in all that encompasses forefront not only will Mackenzie move up into a role where she has equal say in cat and decision making and vision casting and all that encompasses forefront but Sarah new will also move into a role where she has equal say in vision casting and decision-making, and all that encompasses Forefront. There's no longer going to be one leader. We're creating a triune leadership model where the three of us will now work in tandem and together to lead Forefront. Because Forefront isn't just about one voice. Forefront is about bringing other voices into equity and to leadership. Now, what about our other staff members, Angela, Robbie, and we have a marketing person, Sean. What about them? You know, the truth of the matter is we want their voices to be leadership voices as well. And as much as they're able, those voices will be leadership voices that work with us in creating decisions and, and creating vision and casting vision and encompassing all that there is around Forefront. Our leadership team. Our leadership team, which you know in previous years has been like, okay, we're here and we recommend you do this or that, they're now going to be the arbiters of our budget. So they'll be the ones that are in charge of the way we spend money, the way we use money 
and they'll hold us accountable as a three-person executive council. This is a big change. And so it's an aspirational change. It's not a change that we believe will happen overnight. It's a change that's going to take time, months even. There's going to be fits and starts. I know that I'm going to have to work to, to, to decrease so that others can increase. I know that's going to happen. I, I know that we're going to, you know, you know, maybe not reflect it in all the ways that we should at all times. But our goal, our goal is in the next few months, we get to a place where we honestly, with integrity, live out this triune leadership model where there are more voices speaking on behalf of Forefront rather than just one voice speaking on behalf of Forefront. This is good news, y'all. This is good news because it's good news because it means that your voices are amplified. It means the staff doesn't just sit back and, and, and make decisions. It means that, that we're raising money. And in fact, we've raised money so that we can give money to our group, so that we can give money to our ministry, so that we can give money to our volunteers, so that their voices can become amplified too, so that your voices can become amplified as well. We want you to be leaders. We want you to be collaborators. We want you to be decision makers. As it says in Peter, it says, uh, it says that we are the priesthood of all believers. And if we're going to be uh, a church that believes in radical equity, then we really are the priesthood of all believers for everyone with no exceptions. With no exceptions. Oh, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't scared. This is a change. It's a change for me. It's a change for my family, right? I'm, I'm losing a bit of my power. <laughs> I've only been the lead pastor here. It's a change for my family as structures will look different and eventually finances will start to look different. It's a change in the way that we operate, and yeah, yeah, I'd be lying if I said I'm not anxious, but I'm also incredibly excited. I'm incredibly excited, I mean, practically, I'm incredibly excited because I'm not the only one that has to hold all the stress, <laughs> but I'm incredibly excited because we should and need to hear from other voices besides myself. And we should be raising up leaders within our church community. And we should be practicing radical equity. And we should be, be championing miracle after miracle after miracle like the ones we see in our scriptures where Jesus Christ says, you want to know what God's kingdom looks like? It looks like all being brought into the fold. It looks like all having the same opportunity and outcome. It looks like everybody being included. And it looks like everybody making a path and making a way so that we all get to experience the radical kingdom of God. And so I want you all to join us in that. I want you all to pray for us as we start this transition process. I want you to pray for our church and maybe even pray for you. Maybe you're feeling the pangs of leadership. Maybe you're feeling like you have a voice in this place. Then I want you to pray that you might have the courage to use it because it is going to bring a miracle. It is going to bring a new kingdom. It is going to usher in the next 500 years. And so here's what I'd like y'all to do. I'd like y'all to close your eyes. And I'd like you all to sit with us in this kabod moment. This heavy moment where things are changing. But they're changing for the better. And the change is a miracle. And we get to share it with each other. And same is, same is dangerous, different. Different brings the kingdom of God. And I'm so proud and so amazed and so thankful. 
we get to call our church a radically equitable one, that we get to live interdependently, that we get to make sure we're all in the room when it happens, and that we get to live out miracle after miracle after miracle in the name of Jesus Christ. Will you join me in this Kavad moment? Amen. God, thank you for giving our church the courage, the courage to try new things, the courage not to stay the same, the courage to move forward into new experience, the courage to be inclusive, the courage to continue to champion the rights of others. Let us not lose that courage. Let us not lose heart. And when it gets hard, when it gets difficult, help us to love one another well, to take care of one another well, to show grace to one another well. We pray all this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.